Smart Firefighting World, welcome back. This is your host, Kevin Sofin. Today, we're going to hear from the founder and CEO of Wi-Fiber, Adair Grover. Adair is going to tell us about how Wi-Fiber is creating private wireless networks for customers in places where they're trying to obtain intelligence in places where they don't currently have any. We'll learn about how they utilize existing hardware infrastructure with lamppost and utilize their smart lamp to integrate different hardware and software and ultimately what they're doing in the future now leveraging the award they just went under fire with the Responder X Labs and the Amazon Web Services Award to leverage the cloud to be able to do some analytics for their customers. And it's really exciting to see what Wi-Fiber is doing, and we hope you enjoy listening. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. Today, we have Adair Grover, the founder and CEO of Wi-Fiber. Adair, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having us here today, and I really appreciate it. Hey, the pleasure is ours. So for those of us that don't know Wi-Fiber, I mean, it sounds like Wi-Fi, what's, uh, you know, give us a little bit of an idea of what is the origins of Wi-Fiber. So Wi-Fiber, we're really a network provider. What we're doing is we're creating private networks. Um, the name is Wi-Fiber because we like wireless. We have some proprietary hardware. Um, and with access to that proprietary hardware, we're able to do things that typical providers can't. Um, give you a quick example. You know, we won the Teeks uh, Under Fire Award just a few weeks ago. We won Best of CES last year. And that's all because of our ability to build very effective, high-capacity, wireless, gigabit, low-millisecond ping plug-and-play networks. And I know that's a big mouthful, but in essence what it means is, hey, you can go anywhere in range of one of our access points you don't need any FCC licensing. You don't need any real training. And you can give another unit power, and you can all of a sudden now create this wireless mesh network. And it doesn't have to be mesh. You can put one access point on the roof of a building or on a tower, and you can go 30 miles in another direction, and the other one just needs power. It doesn't need fiber or anything. And you're going to create a wireless point-to-point network or a link, which is basically replicating fiber, and you can get 866 megs off of that at a distance of 31 miles. So we feel it's pretty impactful technology. I love it. And it seems like the point-to-point network, this private wireless network, is sort of the foundation of what allows you to do everything else. Uh, And from what I saw under fire, it seemed like one of the big takeaways that I got from Wi-Fiber was not just this wireless network, but the concept of interoperability and system integration. Um, So first, give me a little context before that, on what does this actual product look like? How does it how is it actually implemented? And then, what are some of the interoperability and system integration aspects within the Wi Fiber product platform? Yeah, absolutely. So, at our core, you know, as I mentioned, the access points that's where we started. Um, and the access points are really you can look at them point to point. It's replacing that fiber connection, so you don't need a trench fiber, which is super expensive and requires permitting and time. You can just simply put up two access points. They will connect to each other, and then one side will have fiber. So you don't, of course, need to extend the fiber 30 miles. And those are roughly the size of an iPad. Um, When you're going the long haul, there is a small dinner plate dish that goes with it. Uh, And then at the receiving end, you just take a Cat6 or an Internet cable from the access point that's receiving the signal. You can plug it into the switch in your home, the switch in your office, the switch at the fire department. Um, which is then going to enable all of that functionality. And so when it comes down to interoperability, I mean, hey, just just 
we're the equivalent of providing you that internet port wherever you need it. So any of your systems, whatever they are, no matter who's the, who's proprietary software, who's proprietary algorithm, who's proprietary workflow, it all needs internet. And that's what we're doing is we're providing internet. Um, and so if you take that core model and then look at what comes next, the next aspect is really going to be our smart lamp, which is what we showcased at, you know, Teaks Under Fire and, of course, at CES in 2018. Uh, and what that smart lamp is, is it combines our access points. So you can go point to point, point to multi-point mesh. You can do long distance, short distance, really high capacity, up to 866 megs on the 5 gigahertz spectrum and about 300 megs on the 2 gigahertz spectrum. Um, but in addition to that, because it's a light, we said, hey, we've got two LEDs. We've got this access point. What else can we put in there? So we also threw in a camera. We've thrown in uh, partner microphones, which can facilitate gunshot and or shot intelligence and detection. Um, and then in addition, we have speakers, which can be used for communication with the populace. So the lamp head is really an aggregator and an integrator on a hardware and a software perspective. So we receive this wireless backhaul on our mesh, comes into the access point. It connects to the, the camera. It connects to the lights, and it connects to our Zigbee network and, of course, the speakers. So we're actually running a tertiary network for lighting control. And that makes us a very impactful product when you look at IoT networks for atmospheric, air quality, pollution, uh, smoke, uh, or any sort of uh, associated IoT functionality. Mm -hmm. um, we're then leveraging our cameras to do things like object detection, anomaly detection, traffic counts, ped counts, whatever it may be. So it's a single source application leveraging our high-capacity backhaul with independent modular components, which can facilitate different endpoint use cases for the client itself. I love it. And yeah, so to, to the layman, it may just look like another lamppost. But really, we're looking at taking quite a few different hardware and software capabilities to system integrate within the lamppost, or excuse me, the, the lamp, smart lamp head to be able to allow different customers all sorts of opportunities to utilize the expanded private network for a range of options. And I, and I heard some of this before, but and you kind of gave some, some context to it, but give me an example of how the Wi-Fiber concept network is, is being deployed, um, whether you mentioned gunshot detection or, or with, with wildfire detection. Walk me through those two use cases and how the Wi-Fiber uh, is integrating the hardware and software to solve a customer need. Right, absolutely. And so, um, you know, what it comes down to is we're looking for higher level intelligence in places that we do not have physical assets. So um, first responder, public safety, law enforcement uh, has a lot of need for this type of solution. And what it kind of comes down to, as you mentioned, um, detection, early warning, uh, control, uh, and, and also distribution of information. So uh, let's take a really simple use case, for example. Uh, let's just say shot detection. So we've got partner software uh, and hardware integrated into the lamp, um, which is all riding off of our wireless backhaul. Um, and then the partner software is going to visualize what happens. The partner hardware is going to do its magic based upon its access to the internet at a low millisecond ping, so real-time access to the internet, so that if there's an anomaly detected, well, then we can, for example, say, hey, here's the real-time alert at C2 command and control, and then we can showcase that, leveraging a lot of our partner functionality um, to the end client. 
Another, another really interesting use case is we're doing a lot with the video as well. Because we have this high-capacity data stream, we're able to pull real-time, high-quality 2K, 4K video feeds right back into that C2 command and control center with that uh, media display or video wall. And what we're able to do then is bring in a lot of partner software. We can do things like object detection, vehicle detection, intrusion detection, uh, all sorts of recognition. Uh, and so there's a lot of value there. And I know there's uh, a need for first responder public safety to law enforcement to deploy these privatized networks, not just from an aggregate level, but also from a more granular level. And what we mean by that is we can have a mesh over the entire city but you need to have the ability for that first responder or that individual to interact with that mesh, obtain that real-time information being aggregated by that mesh, and also then upload their own vital statistics or their own in-building video and or data to that mesh and that overarching intelligence network. Um, so, you know, lots of different ways to deploy it. What makes it really simple is your typical deployment is going to be, hey, you've got a light on a lamp pole. Maybe we'll put up some cameras. Maybe we'll put up an access point. Maybe we'll put up like a small cell. Maybe we'll also put up some, you know, LPR readers. Maybe we'll put up some atmospheric sensors. And by the time you're done, that, that telephone pole or that traffic pole looks like some sort of crazy Christmas tree. And the Wi-Fiber approach is we're saving a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of labor, and, of course, saving and salvaging the aesthetic value of that city asset by simply saying, hey, put one piece of hardware on the pole and all of your different software, all of your different functionality can be aggregated and brought back through that one singular piece of hardware. Love it. And yeah, it seems like there's so much you can do with that when you think about the different hardware and, and different sensors that you can put on there. And I know one I'd heard about as well is, is whether you're looking at a national park, let's say, for example, and you were just trying to make sure that either we're trying to understand if people are in the park after hours and being able to understand, hey, if there is someone in the park, we want to know about it. And two, we maybe we, we don't want to be mistaken if it's a bear or if it's a human. Um, and so being able to have some type of motion detector to be able to then understand if it's a human or a bear. And if it is a human, then maybe if, if they're somewhere where they shouldn't be, using kind of some of the integrated hardware and software to be able to notify that person with the decentralized asset and also notify, notify maybe a local law enforcement or, or, or park protection of who's where and why they're there and be able to take proper action. Um, so it seems like that, that would be a, kind of a maybe a layman's term example of how it would be used uh, for uh, just in terms of at how the white fiber can be deployed. No. Ab absolutely. And, you know, what? Well, like, uh, we, we have a lot of very common recurrent use cases, which is, hey, we want intelligence in an area where we don't have fiber, we don't have any assets. What do we do? Well, take a couple pieces of our equipment, go to the roof of your closest building that has Internet, and then we'll figure the rest out from there, you know? Um, and that's kind of our business plan in general is wherever you need, wherever you need intelligence, wherever you need data and you can't get it, come to Wi-Fiber and we'll give you an all-inclusive package that can do it. Um, and going back into that, you know, our ability to create that core network, which can then be leveraged for, for example, 5G deployments. Um, because what's actually happening is, in essence, we're replacing fiber uh, on long-haul and short-haul capacity. So wherever you would typically look to say, hey, I need to put a cellular node here, and I don't have fiber, i got to dig out. Well, you can do a wireless backhaul or a wireless mesh through the Wi-Fiber LAN or the Wi-Fiber access point. And at the end of that, you can plug in the cellular node and create that carrier 
banded spectrum license frequency for cell phones or for whatever functionality is requested at that area of intelligence. Love it. Yeah, and I think you, you, you explained it very easily there of providing intelligence where customers don't have any and using existing hardware with the light poles and being able to integrate hardware or software to best, best accommodate customers who need intelligence for places where they don't have any. You're exactly right. And, you know, I'll, I'll, after this one last use case, I'll be quiet and give your podcast back. But uh, no, man, uh, we're doing a for. project or working on a project uh, with a client out west. And what they're looking to do is they've got a lot of natural environmental anomalies that occur on not just a yearly but on a monthly basis. So uh, wintertime, they've got a lot of avalanches, uh, which is a big issue based on seismic. And that, of course, leads to seismic activity. Uh, in the summertime, there's rock slides, there's fires. Um, and, you know, so it's a really dynamic environment. Also, there's also a body of water there. Um, so there's, there's lots of different natural environmental anomalies that, are neat, that, that, are, that require uh, a sort of managed response. And so what we're doing there is we're using our lamp head, which is, again, based off of our wireless backhaul, um, and that high-capacity connection to do things like seismic sensing, to use the camera to detect smoke, to see if there's an anomaly. And then more importantly, we're focused on interactive response. So we're one of the few providers out there that can actually do things like, hey, the moment our gear senses anomaly, for example, uh, let's say a rock slide, an avalanche, or a fire, we can then, that not we can, but that is automatically going to go to C2, command and control, whatever HQ is running or responsible for that asset, which is going to dispatch a live real-time unit uh, via software that is already integrated back into the lamp head or access point. Um, and what I'm getting to is that that's one aspect of the interactive response. The other one is going to be that once those anomalies are detected, we then can change colors on the lamp. We can cause them to flash or strobe. And because we have a speaker we're then able to broadcast out alerts like, hey, stay out of the road. There's a rock slide or don't come down here or whatever it needs to be. But as you can imagine, that's a really simple way to impact and save lives before future problems or collisions, for example, may happen. And just to keep going on this one use case is you've got a live avalanche or a live rock slide in progress that has not been addressed um, by first responders or by any sort of uh, organized division as of, as of yet. Um, in traditional standard, you have, would have no way of informing anyone not to go around this corner and follow this road. Um, but with our solution, you can flash the lights, blare the speaker, and hopefully stop 50 cars from going up the path and having some sort of injury prior to law enforcement getting out there and stealing down the road. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, just taking that information and understanding an abnormality and being able to pump that information to the public to prevent lives from going into a hazardous situation from a, previously a situation that was unfortunately maybe they would have found out by just when they got there as opposed to now we can try and find ways to provide some early warning notification to prevent future harm or death from happening to innocent right. bystanders exactly and, you know once you start going into a response zone let's say maybe it's it's, it's out of coverage area what we're, what we're looking at doing, what we're doing a lot of testing on now, is enabling vehicles with our gear, the access points, roughly the size of, of an iPad, um, so that when they come into these areas, they're either able to connect to the existing mesh and then provide that network hub, or if they're not, then they're able to at least create a passive network for any first responder going into 
the hazardous zone so that any of their wearables, any of their on-prem technology can at least provide that passive uh, intelligence back to the vehicle, um, which in essence is then acting as command and control, or any other provider or responder within range or on-prem with them. Love it. Yeah, so you guys just won the Under Fire uh, event with or the award from the Responder Ventures, $25,000 AWS. Uh, so what does that mean for you guys the rest of 2019, and how does it how will it work with uh, tapping and leveraging some of the AWS um, cloud capabilities? Yeah, and so we're working with a number of clients on, I guess, greater or larger scale deployments. We've got a number of test sites and facilities up as to date, and really the AWS funds are going to go a long way with helping us showcase to our end clients who may have limited budgets due to the procurement, how the procurement process is set up. Um, so maybe they can buy some hardware, but they can't buy the ongoing analytics uh, or cognition to actually run some of the functionality that they need unless another party comes in and donates it or we put the bill, right? Um, so from our perspective, we're really happy we won it. We're really honored and proud and can't thank the folks at Teeks and the Under Fire event enough, along with Amazon and Responder X Labs for really making that happen for us. Um, so we're, we're really proud, we're really honored. We're looking forward to pushing that credit out to some of our clients so that they can really understand how our technology and the joint software application of the cloud can truly impact uh, their daily lives and improve efficiency on, on a number of law enforcement first responder variables. Love it. And if people want to learn more about Wi-Fiber or get in touch with you or, or someone at the business, what would be the best way for them to do that? wi-fiber.us um, so our website's got all of our white papers got all of our literature chase donnelly who's one of our heads uh takes care of our client experience division um he's going to be most your, your best point of contact and you know we've got tons of contact info on the website so my my first word of advice is going to be go to our website my second is going to be uh call kevin and he'll probably put you in touch with us right that's right august <laughs> for the email <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, Derek, you guys are absolutely crushing it. It's really exciting to see uh, your progress from the CES award last year to the Under Fire event this year, uh, I guess in March. And really excited to see what the rest of 2019 holds. And we'll, we'll absolutely keep in touch. And we look forward to having our smart, fire, smart firefighting community get some more intel and some collaboration opportunities with you. Hey, well, we can't thank you guys enough for having us on today. And please let us know if we can, we can come on again or anything we can do to assist. Absolutely, man. Take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a comment, and follow us on social media at Smart Firefighting. We would love to know more about what you liked or did not like about this episode. Even more so, we want to know, what do you want to hear more about? Any feedback for future interviews or topics is highly welcomed and encouraged. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to next time.